For those of you who are parents or godparents or grandparents or aunts or uncles, what expectations do you have for your children? Every parent, every adult, every aunt, uncle, teacher has expectations for their children. And when they meet those expectations, we rejoice, right? Think about when you graduated from high school or college, when you, and Andrew and James and John is one of those gospel passages that in youth ministry and vocation work is read all the time. We want young people to realize and identify with James and John and Peter and Andrew and to realize that God is calling them, that God has a radical call for them. So this is a passage that I have read again and again. I've read this passage six times with my feet in the water on the Sea of Galilee. It's a tremendously powerful passage. And I've never thought about Zebedee. Zebedee is the father of James and John. Let me correct that. I've never thought about Zebedee the the way that I began thinking about him yesterday. So Zebedee is the father of James and John. And it says in our passage today, Jesus called them immediately. They left their boat and their father and followed him. And they were in their boat with their father Zebedee mending their nets. I've always thought about Zebedee just being upset. Like, that's always been my vision. Is that Zebedee is in a boat, he has his two sons with him, and all of a sudden, Jesus, this radical hippie who wants people to, like, love each other, says, hey, come follow me. And James and I are like, sounds better than mending nets. And then Zebedee's sitting there with his boat by himself, his family business shattered, mending his nets, and he's like, what? Like, that's, that's how I've always looked at the passage, until yesterday. And I was talking to a good priest friend, and he said, I bet Zebedee was dancing for joy. I bet Zebedee was unbelievably ecstatic That his sons made the decision to follow the Messiah. So we don't know the backstory. It's not described. How often James and John had met Jesus prior to this. How many times Peter and Andrew had met Jesus prior to this. It doesn't seem logical that they had never seen Jesus. And all of a sudden he says, come follow me. And they're like, okay. We also don't have the backstory on Zebedee. But I believe that Zebedee was a holy and righteous and devout man. And in fact, I can probably prove the fact that Zebedee was a holy and righteous and a devout man. Because his sons were. And in fact, not just Zebedee, but his wife. Because unmentioned in this passage is Zebedee's wife, which we also know from Scripture, actually. And we know a story about James and John, and the twelve apostles are together, and James and John's mom comes up to Jesus in front of the twelve and says, Hey, Jesus, 
I want my son, James, and my son, John, to sit on your left and your right in the kingdom of God. And I'm just going to tell you that any woman like that probably had a pretty righteous and holy husband as well. And I imagine that as James and John get out of the boat, that Zebedee is beaming from ear to ear, and he is full of joy and thanksgiving and gratitude. When I think about the parents of priests, I actually don't know any parents of priests that are angry that their son became a priest. For those of you who know Cheryl and Chris McCann, as far as I know, they're not angry that their daughter gave her life to Jesus. And so when we think about the expectations that we have for our children, I think it's interesting to think about the expectation that Zebedee had, the expectation that his wife had. And so that had me think about being a father. And how I, as a father, you all call me father, that I delight, that I rejoice, sometimes I even dance, when I see your potential fulfilled. What expectations do you have for your children? We want our children to reach their full potential their calling in life, their vocation. We want them to reach their potential. We don't want them to live lives of mediocrity and minimalism. We want them to reach their full potential. We want our children to be healthy and safe. For myself as a priest, that means keeping you away from the devil, from mortal sin, and on the life of virtue. We want our children also to be happy. And studies prove that happiness is rooted in relationship. As a priest, I want all of you to have good, strong relationships rooted in our Lord, rooted in the church, that call us to be saints. We all have expectations. And when our children fulfill these expectations, these callings, callings we as parents, we as aunts and uncles, we rejoice. I can have my altar boys come forward. We're going to go through a few of these. We haven't had a sign homily in a little long, a little bit, so I thought we'd have a sign homily today. I want all of my children to have an intimate relationship with God. That happens for us as Catholics, of course, in a few different ways. First of all, it happens in doing what you're doing right now. And that's the fact that you're at Sunday Mass and you attend all Holy Day Masses. Like, this is a bare minimum though, right? Like, and no parent wants their child to settle for minimalism. We're here today because God said, keep holy the Sabbath. I want you to live a moral life. We want all of our children to live moral lives. And the bare minimum of that 
is showing up when we're supposed to show up. And thanks be to God that you do that. I was actually, before Mass, I was talking to the parents and godparents because I looked on our congregation. And I was like, the sad thing is that this is what most Catholic churches look like. They're half empty. Because most people don't even do this. As you know, at this Mass, it's normally jam-packed. Thanks be to God, right? It's a reason that, I mean, this Father May and I, we talk about, like, how, is it, how exciting it is to celebrate Mass. Like, if I had to celebrate four Masses every weekend in half-empty churches, I would go insane. And I would probably be depressed. But I have the honor, like, as Father May always says, like, we couldn't celebrate less Masses. It would be impossible for, like, what would you do with the people? And that makes you excited, Right? But we're not just about obligation. We also believe that we should be going to daily mass. Raise your hand if you went to some form of Catholic education. Okay, just as a reminder, because most Catholics have never made the connection. The reason that we went to, you went to daily mass at your Catholic school was so that you would go to daily mass as a habit. Daily mass is not for old people that are bored. However, old people, I would like to tell you, stop being bored. Come to daily mass. Daily Mass is for everybody who's seeking the Lord. We should want to go to Mass to receive our Lord in Holy Communion, to meditate upon His Scripture, and to dwell in and with the Lord. We talk about the fact quite regularly that we should spend a bare minimum of 10 minutes in silence. Every study, we all know it, and we've experienced in our own lives, that communication in our world today is the worst that it's ever been. And the reason that it is is because of technology. Television, radio, the internet, your tablets, your iPhones are actually hurting your relationships because people no longer spend time alone with each other. There's always some technology that's keeping us from actually just being with each other. If this is true in your relationship with your child, which let's be honest, it is. If you have a child and you have technology, that technology is hurting your relationship. That technology is most likely winning the competition of your child's heart. If that's true in our human relationships, it's clearly true in our relationship with God. And so we say a, a bare minimum of 10 minutes of silence. What would happen if you had 10 minutes of silence with your, with your spouse? I, I went to the hospital last night because I was afraid of the snowstorm and we have a parishioner. She's quite elderly, and she has an elderly friend. They're kind of like boyfriend, girlfriend, but they're both like in their late 80s, and they live in two different nursing homes. And I came into her room, and her daughter was with her, and I'm like, can I talk to your mom? And she says, well, she's on the phone right now. And I was like, oh, who's she on the phone with? And she said, well, it's kind of like her boyfriend. They're just really good friends. I was like, oh, that's really cute. And uh, so we talked about it a little bit. And then eventually, after like 15 minutes, I just said, like, can I, like, interrupt the phone call? Because, like, I, I do need to, like, I have three people I want to get to tonight before the storms come in. And so I had noticed that, like, she wasn't talking on the phone. And so I said to the daughter, I said, are they really on the phone? And so the mom, the, the, the daughter came in, she interrupted, and she just goes, mom, are you on the phone with him? Like, are you guys talking? And this woman laying in her hospital says, no, we're, we're just with each other. And so the daughter put in the phone, she said, 
uh, my mom will talk to you later, and like hung up the phone. I was like, this is so cute, right? But what were they doing? They didn't need to talk, right? We just need to be with each other. And the same is true with our Lord. We just need to be with him in a beautiful way. And this is why we have at our parish an adoration chapel, right? 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, we have perpetual adoration so that we can commit intentionally to say, like, this is my time with Jesus. I love it when couples tell me, like, hey, it's our date night. We go out once a month, or we go out once a week. And, like, this is our intentional time when we are together. Well, we do that with our Lord. We, so we schedule it, because if we don't schedule it, what will happen? It's not going to happen, right? If you don't schedule it, it doesn't happen. And so we schedule time to be with the Lord so we can be with Him because we love Him. We talk a lot in our parish as well about the, the rosary, praying the rosary, right? Our Lady of Fatima, we have a beautiful shrine to her right back here. She asks us to pray the rosary. Every time the Blessed Mother appears somewhere, she says, pray the rosary. Why? She wants us to spend time with our Lord. She wants us to meditate on sacred scripture. For those of you who are doing the Bible in a year right now, like, is it not amazing? Scripture is amazing. And that is what the Bible is. It is a consecrated meditation on our Lord. And it's amazing. We also take time to go to confession on a regular basis. We have 12 hours of confession offered in our parishes, as we know. Uh, every second Friday here at All Saints Parish, every third Friday at St. Mary's in Aurora. And we go to confession because we need, like all good relationships, to be reconciled. If you're a parent and you know your kids are fighting, you want to see them re- reconciled. And when you do, you rejoice. All of these things right here, like when I see these happening as a priest... I I genuinely rejoice. And that's why the priesthood is so exciting, is because we see this happening in real time, in real ways. I totally miscounted. I need three new servers. Get down here. Servers. Let's go. I need three servers. Three. One, two, three. Continuous learners. What are we called to be? We're called to be continuous learners. For those of you, we have 645 people doing Bible in a year right now. 75 women yesterday made a choice to say, you want to know what? I'm going to give up my day, and I'm going to go to a retreat and be nourished. Adult faith formation, rise up, peace on earth. We, we have to be continuous learners because we want to know the one that we love. And since he's God... We can never know him enough because he's incomprehensible. And so we can always continue to strive to learn more. And in that, there's joy. Once we know the Lord, once we love the Lord, we're called to be generous, right? So we're, we're generous in multiple ways. Here at our parish, we talk about compassionate service. Think of all the ways that we try to reach out and be present to other people. This happens mainly in two ways. Financially, drop that down. Financially and through our works of mercy, right? So the corporate works of mercy, burying the dead, giving food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, visiting the imprisoned, visiting the sick. We do all these things because once we know the Lord, we have to act. We also do with our money. If God got a hold of your checkbook and looked at your checking account, What would it say about what you believe? If God got a hold of your day planner or your calendar, what would it say about who you believe and who you are? This past week, we were getting the tax letters ready for 
to, to, to put out into the mail. I make $30,000 a year. Actually, I make less than $30,000 a year. But we were going, I was going through the tax letters, and there's someone in our parish who, who literally their tithe this past year was $30,000. And I, I like held this one piece of paper. I was like, this person just paid for my salary. I'm good. There's someone in our parish who, play, who, who, who gave three times that amount. I'm like, well, I could get another priest, I guess. What does our checkbook say about what we, what we believe and who we are and whose we are? How, do we, how are we generous with what God has given to us in a powerful way? Lastly, we're called to invite and we're called to welcome. All of this is actually, in a certain sense, everything else points to all of this. And this can be the hardest. It can, in a certain sense, be easy to put, calendar, to, to put mass in your calendar, to put prayer in your calendar, but the courage and fortitude that it can take to actually invite people to church, to invite people to adoration, to invite people to prayer, to invite coworkers to be a part of what's happening, to invite family and friends who are away to come back can be really challenging. And I will tell you, yet, when I see all of this happening, when I see our high school youth inviting their friends who are not baptized to youth ministry events, when I see individuals bringing people to RCIA, when I see individuals inviting people to adoration, it's exciting. And as a father, like Zebedee, as a parent, like the mother of the sons of Zebedee, we rejoice, we delight. We see great things happening, and we are encouraged by our children. And so on this Sunday, I want to say thank you. I want to say, say thank you for bringing joy and delight to Father May and to myself. And I want you to imagine right now, we hear this story often, the story of the prodigal son, right? We'll hear it this upcoming Lent. We hear the story of the merciful father, right? And the merciful father, in the story of the prodigal son, his son, who is a sinner, is walking back. And the father goes out and he slaughters the calf and he puts a a cape on him and a ring on his finger and he embraces him. And he does that for a sinner. How much more? Does God delight and rejoice in you who are at Mass, who strive to get to daily Mass, who are spending time in silence, who are spending time in prayer, who are generous, who are striving to be faithful to prayer and to learning your faith and to being generous and kind and merciful. How much more does the Father rejoice in you and delight in you? And if we think that Zebedee and his wife were dancing and rejoicing as their sons answered the call, how much more does God delight in you? It's a powerful image for you to think about this morning, and I ask you to think that that is the Father's love for you. And that's the Father who gives us his body and his blood and his son in the Holy Eucharist and the Holy Mass and the sacrifice that we're at today. May we find delight in that, may we find goodness in that, and may we be the saints that he is calling us to be. Amen. Amen.